So, as my wife mentioned, you know, everyone is, is, it's a busy time. It's certainly a busy time. I was just telling my wife on the way over here that, uh, you know, in order to have Pesach, you have to go through Mitzrayim first. You have to go through Mitzrayim first. So, it's standard procedure that before Pesach, there's stress and there's smallness and uh, confusion and lachats and pressure. That's part of the deal. That's part of the deal. So, that's always good to know that what everyone is experiencing, everyone else is experiencing in their own different ways, that's part of the plan, that's part of the deal. So what I want to share with you is, um, you know, is really a response to a question that someone really asked me last night. You know, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the guys from the Meshul was telling me that you know, him and his wife were, were, were struggling with like, what exactly to be thinking about by the Seder, what exactly is Pesach about, how to sort of connect to it. And so... Obviously, now that, uh, that we're speaking to Nashim Tzitkanias, so I'll tell you the truth, you know, a couple years ago, when, you know, it was the height of the pandemic, so everyone sort of, not everyone, but many people had to sort of make Pesach for the first time. And so making Pesach for the first time caused, you know, anxiety on, all, on, on both sides of the, of the Mechitza, you know, in terms of getting the house prepared and cooking and cleaning and so on. And also, on the guy's side, there was a lot of lachats. I remember this, a lot of lachats, a lot of pressure in terms of, like, running a Seder, you know what I mean, and sort of being in that position. Um, and, and the truth is, for men, for men, leading a Seder and preparing a Seder is somewhat a little bit, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily natural. You know, it's something that you have to, prepare for, and you have to learn about the details, go through the Haggadah, figure out ways of engaging the kids and keeping everyone interested. It's something that you have to go through with training, you know? But what's interesting when it comes to the, the side of women, when it comes to Pesach, it's what we're going to see today for a little bit is that the Avoida of women in particular in Pesach is very much natural in terms of your Tchumis and Nefesh, in terms of the, you know, the qualities that Hashem created you with. So for example, you know, the Gemara says, that the schus, it's famous, it's well known, the schus nashim tzidkanias, right, in the merit of the Jewish women, that's in their, in their faith and so on, we got out of Mitzrayim. And that's something that uh, all of you possess, that strength. So the question is to sort of bring that out and to develop that. What exactly, what exactly is your strength and your avayda to be able to connect the face of properly, you and your family? Okay, so let's begin like this. So let me, let me share with you a few questions about Pesach and then we'll, we'll investigate a little bit deeper what Pesach's about a little bit. So it's like this, you know, in the Haggadah, question number one. So in the Haggadah, there are, it's well known that there are four sons, right? There are four children that are spoken about in the Haggadah. And the reason why the Haggadah talks about these four, the four ban and the Arba ban and the four sons is because what the Haggadah is trying to convey is that one of the main mitzvahs of Pesach night is Sipri Tzis Mitzrayim, giving over, giving over our faith to the next generation, right? That's what uh, a major part of Pesach is about. And so the, the Haggadah is trying to describe all different types of, of children, different types of people that, as parents or as uh, Yidin, were responsible of giving over and how to respond to each one in kind. So you have the Chacham, okay? He has an intelligent question. You give over an intelligent, intelligent answer. A simple question, you give a simple answer. A kid that, or a person doesn't even know how to ask the question. So you begin the conversation. Then you have the Ben Rasha, right? The wicked son, right? And the question the wicked son asks is a question that's, um, that's uh, he's on the offensive, you know? He's on the attack. What's going on? What do you need this for? He's, he's, he's coming from, his shields are up, you know? 
And so what's the response that we give to the Ben Rush, the Haggadah says? So you, you put, he's pushing, so you push him away. You know what I'm saying? You break his teeth and you tell him that if you were in Mitzrayim, you wouldn't have been taken out. It's a little bit of a harsh, a harsh response. So the question that we're going to focus on now is that how exactly is that a conversation that's about giving over the Mitzvah? How is that fulfilling the Mitzvah of talking about the Exodus? It seems that the conversation between, let's say, the... The, the, the Haggadah and the Ben Rasha, it seems to be a conversation which is about pushing away, not giving over. So you want to say that, you know, sometimes you have to do that for certain people. Okay, maybe yes, maybe no. But what is that, if, how is that in the context of the four sons, which is all about giving something over? It doesn't seem to be by the Ben Rasha that you're giving anything over. That's question number one. Okay. Another question to think about is that there's another theme in place when it comes to the Haggadah which, as the Gemara tells us, is maschel beginus umesayim mishvach. That one of the themes of, of Pesach night is that you have to start mentioning the negative. You start in the negative and you end in the positive. What does that mean? So, for example, in the Haggadah, you see this in two levels. On the one, one level, it's that we talk about the slavery. That's the negative. And then we talk about the redemption. That's the positive. Negative and positive. And in a more broader you know, you pull, you, you zoom out a little bit more. The Haggadah also describes that the negative that the Jewish people experienced really started way before the exile of Egypt. The negative is that originally, even before Avram, where Avram Avinu in his, in his youth, they were all idolatrous, they were all idol worshippers. That's the negative. And the positive is after the whole experience of Yitzit and Shrayim, now we're close to Hashem and we're able to do mitzvahs and we're Yidin. So that's the negative and then positive. So the negative, again, the negative being the fact that we served the Vaidizara, that we were idolatrous in our, in our history before Avram Avinu. And then after the whole period of Yitzhak and Simon, so on, now we're close to Hashem, now we serve Hashem. So it seems, it would seem, that a major, that from there we see that a major aspect, a major theme of Pesach is this idea of moving away from idolatry. That's what it seems. It might not be something that we think of automatically when it comes to Pesach. We only, usually what we think about is is slavery to freedom. But as the Haggadah really describes that on a, on a broader sense, Pesach is not just about freedom from slavery, it's also about moving away from the idolatrous past of the Jewish people and coming closer to Hashem. So you have to think about that. What does that mean for people like us and, you know, Tavsh and Pei Beis? We're not, none of us, I don't think, I hope not, are not tempted to go bow down to totem poles or to uh, run to your nearest church. So what exactly does it mean for us that Pesach means moving away from idolatry? That's question number two. And question number three, when you learn the Chumash and the, and the story in Chumash about you know, the exile of Egypt and the redemption, so there's a very interesting conversation that takes place when Hashem by the burning bush, so we know that Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, I see the, pain, the suffering of the Jewish people, it's time to take them out. And so Moshe Rabbeinu, as we know, for a whole week was going back and forth, I, don't send me, send someone else, I'm not worthy the whole thing. But at the end of the day, when, when Moshe Rabbeinu finally agrees to go, so he has a, a fair question to Hashem. He says, listen, okay, I agree. I'm going to go to the Jewish people and I'm going to tell them that the God of their ancestors has sent me to take them out. And they're going to ask me a simple question, Mashimoy, what's his name? What's his name? So what should I tell them? So Hashem says, okay, that's a fair question. You know, I hear that. So my name is, Hashem says, Eka, Asher, Eka. And he gives other divine names. You give off. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu what his name is that he should give over to the Jewish people. 
So you have to understand what does that mean? What type of question is that? What's Hashem's name? First of all, I, I, I guess I, I guess it's interesting to know if you want to know what Hashem's name is, but how is that relevant to the Exodus? You get the messages that Hashem is taking you out. Say thank you and pack your bags. Like what 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 is this question of what is his name? Why is that a necessary? It seems, it would seem that part of the exodus, part of the process of redemption, is knowing Hashem's name, is being able to articulate Hashem's name. So these are the three questions that we'll deal with. Again, question number one, what is the Ben Rasha's place in the Haggadah? What exactly, what type of, how is the conversation between the Haggadah and the Ben Rasha a conversation about, about giving over a Yiddish guide? It seems the conversation is all about pushing him away, not bringing him close. That's question number one. Question number two was, what exactly is the relevance for us in terms of Pesach being seen as moving away from idolatry, coming closer to Hashem? And question number three is, this final question is that, what is this concept that Pesach is somehow connected with knowing Hashem's name? Okay, those are the questions. Okay, so now let's get to the meat and potatoes of what, what Pesach is about, and then we'll see you know, how it all ties together. Hashem Okay, so... In the Svarim HaKadoshim, we find the following idea. It might sound a little bit funny at first, but this following idea really gets to the core of what Pesach is. And everything, everything else is commentary, really, to this, to this main idea. And the idea is as follows. It's interesting. When you, when you go through, um, in the beginning of Parsha Shemos, where it talks about the, the, the actual exile, which happens to be is not that, not that much. It's like half of Parsha Shemos. Right? That's the... 210 years of exile, and then the rest of Shmos and Ve'er, Abo, B'Shalach, it's all about the redemption. But if you focus in on that first half of Parsha Shmos, which is talking about the exile, you'll see an interesting thing. The Jewish people don't speak. They don't talk. There's no talking. There's a lot of moaning, there's groaning, there's crying, but there's no talking. There's no talking. And Chazal pick up on this, and Chazal said the following thing. They said that if you want to understand the essence of the exile of Egypt, the way to say it in one sentence is, the exile of, of Egypt was the exile of speech. The inability of the Jewish people, collectively and individually, to express themselves properly, to speak, to speak. Now this idea of Pesach, the exile being an exile of speech, again, we have to say what that means. First of all, again, you see that from the fact that there's no talking. And even Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he goes on and during, during those seven days, right, so what's his main... What's his main uh, you know, point of trying to say he's, he's not able to do it? He's, I can't speak. I can't, I'm unable to speak. And it's true. Moshe Rabbeinu had a speech impediment. He wasn't able to communicate. Now, that's not a coincidence. The fact that Moshe Rabbeinu, the Redeemer, the one, the one who equals on some level the entire Jewish people, his inability to speak is reflective of what was going on by the Jewish people collectively, that there was a golos hadibor. A, a, the exile was an exile of speech. Even the word paro, the enemy of the Jewish people, the one that's in, that enslaves us, the word paro is the same letters, paro, pei, resh, ayin, hei, the same letters as ha'oref. Ha'oref means the back of the neck, the opposite of the place of speech. You speak from the throat and you, and you express it with your mouth. The opposite, in other words, what stands opposed to it is the back of the neck. That's the, the word oref, that's the word paro. Um, this is why as a response to our redemption, what's the mitzvah of Pesach night? Everything revolving around the mouth. Eating matzah, eating mar, drinking four cups of wine, talking a lot, to talk as much as possible about the Exodus, to speak, to speak, to speak. It's all Because finally, with the redemption, now we can talk. Now we can talk straight and we can say holy words. 
we find this as well that when you know in, in the story again when we know Moshe Rabbeinu, right? He uh, he sees Dustin and Avirim fighting with each other, right? In the in the part in Parsha Shmos, and he goes over to one of them as he, his hand is raised against his friend, and he says, "Rosh Shalom Asakariyecha." Why you know why, one Jew fighting with another? So what does the one of them respond? He says, "Oh, who put you in charge? You're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian." So Moshe Rabbeinu says, "Oh, The matter is known. It's n- it's known, and that's when he skips down. And he goes to Midian to escape the wrath of Paro. So Rashi brings down, what does that mean, that sentence? Behold, the matter is known. So Rashi brings down from Chazal that Moshe Rabbeinu was saying to himself, I always was bothered. Why are we in exile? What Avera? What, what, what's, what's the problem? What's the underlying cause? And now he says, and, he, and the Moshe Rabbeinu says, but now that I see that they speak Lashon Hara, that they're not able, that, that there's, that in other words, I did something, and now he's talking about it in public, that, that this guy, he killed the Egyptian, and he's speaking Lashon Hara. Speaking Lashon Hara is what? Is a damage of speech. speech a, a, a improper speech. As Lashonara says, Meshavenu, oh, that's why there's a Gaulus. If you think about it, let's tra- trace the roots of, of the exile of Egypt back to its original point, like historically. How do we get to Egypt? So ultimately, it goes back. The Jewish people, Yaakovinu's family, goes to Egypt. Why? Because Yosef was already there. Why was Yosef there? Because his brother sold him. Why they sell him? So the Pasuk says that the Yosef Hevi Dibasam Ralavim, because Yosef spoke Lashonar about his brothers. He would bring Lashonar negative reports about his brothers to Yaakov Avinu. Now there's no question about it that, you know, when you talk about the story of the sale of Yosef, the brothers certainly respond, it wasn't, uh, the response was not in measure. But, but, but the Pasuk does say that the, that the ultimate root problem was the fact that Yosef spoke Lashonar. So you see that, the, that even on a practical level, what, what, what brought the Jewish people to Egypt was, in, it was a damaged speech, speaking that was improper, which, which is the problem of Lashon Hara. So you see that with Yosef, you see that with Moshe Rabbeinu, that once he sees that there's Lashon Hara being spoken amongst the Jewish people, he says, oh, that's why. And this is also why, by the way, later on, when Moshe Rabbeinu is hanging out, he's, he's in hiding in the house of Yisrael, right, in Midian, and so later on, when Hashem by the burning bush tells him that he has to go back, so Moshe Rabbeinu, he doesn't, he doesn't say this, but he's thinking this, that he's worried about what's going to be with Dustin and Avirim, because they know the secret of him killing the Egyptian, and he might still get in trouble. So Hashem says to him, don't worry, those people that are threatening your life, they have passed away, they're dead. So Rashi says, they're dead, Dustin and Avirim, they show up in the desert, they're not, they didn't pass away. Says Rashi, they were stricken with Tsaras. They were stricken with uh, that skin disease that these parshas that we're in right now, says Rehman Sarah, are talking about. And, and, and Mitzora, someone that has that stricken, that stricken with trust, has to be uh, quarantined. And so it's as if they're dead. And they're, not, they're not in play. They don't, they don't, they're not any threat to you. Why Tsaras, of all things? Hashem could have done anything to get them out of, you know, out of uh, the community. The answer is because what, what is a person, why is a person stricken with Tsaras? Because Lashonar. Because that's the essence of what's going on. You know, think about this. What allows Moshe Rabbeinu to then come into Mitzrayim and to begin the process of taking us out, it comes, it's facilitated by, these, by Dustin and Avirim being stricken with Saras as a response for Leil Shanar. It's all revolving around, you know, this, the exile all revolves around the pagam, the damage of speech, as we see with Yosef's Lashanara and with Dustin and Avirim's Lashanara. And... The, the redemption of Mitzrayim means finally to be able to articulate properly. And that's why Pesach is all about food, it's all about eating. Even the food that we eat Pesach night, it's not enough to eat matzah. 
right? What we know, what do you have to do? You have to explain verbally why you're eating matzah. Matzah zush anu eichlim. This matzah that we're eating, why am I eating it? Because of uh, what happened to our ancestors. Why am I eating mar? Why at the time did we eat the Karim Pesach? Even the food that we eat has to be, it has to be verbal. You have to explain why. The drinking of the cups of wine or, or the grape juice is not enough just to drink four cups straight. Each cup is, 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 is drank after something that you're saying, whether it be Kiddush or Magid or benching or Hallel. It, it always comes with speech because everything is revolving around now being able to speak properly. Okay, so we're, we're getting a little bit closer to what, what Pesach is about. So, so what does that mean? So what's really the difference between a damaged speech, right? Like a Lashon Hara type of speech, which is what the problem of, of which, which was the exile of Egypt. And what does it mean, a proper speech, which is now the redemption of Egypt? Because that's how we have to think of, we have to redefine Pesach for ourselves now. Because Pesach doesn't just mean, again, going out of that particular country and out of bondage. It means, on a deeper level, for each and every one of us right now, it means finally being able to speak properly. So, what does that mean? So, in order to explain this, so let's look, you know, I, I mentioned before that Dustin and Avian were stricken with Tsaras. You following, by the way? We're good? Okay, so if there's any, let me know. So I mentioned before that Dustin Avir was stricken with Saras, right? Saras is the, cla- is the response, is a classic punishment for someone's who's, someone whose speech is, is damaged. So if we could identify the process in which Saras is healed, that'll help us pinpoint, you know, how to correct speech and how to get out of Mitzrayim, right? So it's interesting. In the past parsha, it says that when a person has saras, so the first step, the first step is to go to a coin. He has to go to a coin, a descendant of Aaron, a coin, and the coin. The pasuk says as follows: the pasuk says, The coin has to look at him. The coin has to look at the afflicted uh, part of the body. The coin sees it, and says it is tame. Says it is tummy. In other words, it's not just enough for, let's say, the person that has saras to look at a, you know, to Google it, you know, and the, yeah, it looks like it looks like saras to me, so I'm tummy. He has to go to a coin, and the coin has to speak, and the coin has to verbalize and say it is tummy. Or if the coin notices that it's not saras, he says it's tahar. So much so that the halach is, if let's say the coin is not particularly well-versed and knowledgeable in what officially is saras or not, then he has to have a tamar chacham nearby to verify whether it's saras, but then the Kohen has to say the words. So already you see that there's an element of speech involved in identifying saras and beginning the process of, of healing it. But here's the nakuda, here's the point. The point is, is that the Kohen, when he identifies the saras and he says it's tameh, he has to make eye contact with it. And this is the point. For Ru'u HaKayin, the Kayin has to see it, and the Kayin has to see the Mitzorah, the Timei also, and, and say and proclaim, you are Tame. And here's the point, the difference between damaged speech, which is the Mitzorah, which is the exile of Egypt, and proper speech, which is the beginning of the process of fixing the Mitzorah and the redemption from Egypt, which is damaged speech, here's to say it in one sentence, damaged speech means to speak about Proper speech means to speak to. That's the difference. What's Lashon Har? Lashon Har is, I'm speaking about 
another person. Or I'm speaking about Eretz Yisrael. Or I'm speaking about my life. Or I'm speaking about something negative. That Lashonar, what's Lashonar? Lashonar is, if the guy was here, <laughs> I would never say anything, right? But because he's not here, so I feel free to speak about the person. That's Lashonar. So what do you see as the beginning of fixing the Tzaras? The Kohen is also speaking. But instead of the Kohen talking about Tzaras and just getting an email from this guy with a, you know, that he took a picture on his phone and sent it to, to the Kohen, like, tell me what this is. No, 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 that's not enough. You have to go to the Kohen. The Kohen has to look at you. The Kohen has to look at the Mitzvah and look and say, you're Tame. It's speaking to, not speaking about. Now this, now I have to explain what that means, but this idea of proper speech being speech that's spoken to, not spoken about, that you see with Pesach Mamish. That's what's going on with Pesach. Balach is, for example, we say this in the Haggadah as well, that in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Pesach night, which is all about talking, as we said, then what's the halacha? It's not enough just to be, just for it to be Pesach night. You only fulfill the mitzvah, b'sha'asha matzah umar, what? Munachin lefenecha, when matzah umar is before you. The halacha is that you have to have the Seder plate on the table in order to speak the Haggadah. Why? Because you have to be able to point and say, this matzah that we're eating, why am I eating this? Because we were taken out of Egypt. This mar that I'm eating, why am I eating this? Because to remind myself of the bitterness. Even the redemption of Egypt, it's not enough to talk about a redemption that took, that took, that took place thousands of years ago. The Haggadah says that every single person by Pesach has to see themselves as if they're leaving Egypt right now. Why? That's not just to make it more real. It's because you cannot fulfill the mitzvah by speaking about a redemption. You have to speak to a, a, a redemption that's happening right now. Everything that's Pesach is, not, is about speaking, but it's about speaking to, not speaking about. This is also why, for example, when Hashem is about to take us, as He sort of introduces the 10th plague, which seals the deal and we get out of Mitzrayim, the Rabbana Shalom doesn't just say, just tell us about Makas Bechoros. What Hashem does is that He first introduces it with a mitzvah of Kiddush HaChodesh, of sanctifying the new moon. Right? That's the first mitzvah that really is given to the Jewish people on a national level. HaChodesh HaZelechem Reish Chadashim. That the beginning of every month, the Sanhedrin, the high court themselves, or they send their representatives, they have to go out and they have to sanctify the new moon and say, oh, it's Reish Chodesh. And then you can start calculating that 15 days later, for example, is Pesach, and so on. The halacha, so why is that? Like, it's a little bit, if, if you, if you if in Chumash, in Parashas Bo, it's a little bit like, like why is this a necessary point right now? You're, you, it's, 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 uh, it's breaking the flow. Like, the flow of events is, you just went through Dam, Tzvardeh, and so on, all the way to Choshech. And now, we're about to, to break Golas with Makas Bukharis. Mishnah said, okay, but before we do that, let me tell you about this idea of sanctifying the new moon. It's out of nowhere. The answer is, what was the process of sanctifying the new moon? To sanctify the new moon, which is the first mitzvah that's given to us, the first mitzvah is what? Is that Bezin has to verbalize and say, Makudish, Makudish, the new moon is sanctified. It has to be verbal. If the Sanhedrin and the high court just go through the calculations and they think it's Rosh Chodesh, or they uh, write it's Rosh Chodesh, it has to be verbal. But here's the point. It's not enough to even to be verbal. They have to point to the moon, they have to see the moon, and speak to the moon and say, you are sanctified. As Chazal say, go see it and sanctify it. And even if the Sanhedrin themselves don't see it, if witnesses come and testify, so through the witnesses, it's as if the court saw the moon. But it's again, this is, a, this is, this is not a, like just, you know, uh, 
uh, something on a tangential point that Hashem is just sort of like stopping the flow of Yitzis and trying to introduce us this new mitzvah. This is what the Exodus means. The Exodus means to fix damaged speech. Damaged speech, like Tsaras, means to speak about. And now redemptive speech means to speak to. What does this mean? So what does this mean? So let me, let me, let me give you two examples of, of what this means, the difference between speaking about versus speaking to. Damaged speech, exiled speech, versus redemptive, redeemed speech. So let's first talk about an example sort of on Hashem's side, you know, and then we'll speak about it sort of on our side. You know, it says in Pasuk, Hashem shemaim nasu, that Hashem created the world with speech, right? Hashem said, let there be light, there was light. Let there be grass, there was grass. Hashem created the world with speech. There are two different ways to think about how that happens. And these two different ways, damaged speech versus redeemed speech, affects how we interact with Hashem. One way of thinking of it is that Hashem spoke about creation. In other words, everything that happens in our lives, when Hashem spoke and Hashem said, let there be light, that wasn't something that once upon a time happened. Every single thing that happens in our lives is because Hashem is saying it. With Hashem's words, reality comes to be. If a person experiences anything in the day, even simply as driving, and you hit a red light, there's a, Hashem spoke and Hashem said, let this and this person hit a red light. And then when uh, you're going uh, to the store, wherever the case may be, and you, know, you have to go in and out because you're a little bit late, and it ends up being you go there and your mazel is that there's a long line, that wasn't just a happenstance, Hashem spoke and Hashem said, let this person be stuck in a long line in the grocery store. Every single product of our lives is all happening because Hashem is speaking it. So that's amazing. To believe that is unbelievable. But even within that, there's two ways to think of it. There's one way to think of it is that God is talking about me. So Hashem is somewhere else. Hashem is sitting uh, with his files and he's thinking about me, which is already beautiful. And he's saying... I think for this person, let them hit a red light, let them get stuck in line, let them experience something good, uh, you name it, whatever it is. But that's still speaking about, to think that Hashem is speaking about you. What's the other way? That's, that's called the exile of Egypt. That's called the exile of Egypt. Because at the end of the day, that feeling is that what? Is that the, the experience I'm having is maybe created by God, maybe it's overseen by Hashem, but it's not direct contact with Hashem. You see, let's understand, before the Jewish people were taken out of Mitzrayim, they also believed in God. They had, Chazal tell us that every single Shabbos, every single Shabbos, the Jewish families would get together in Egypt. They would get together in Egypt, and they would remind each other about where they come from. They would talk about their ancestors, Avram, Mitzvah, and Yaakov, and they would remind themselves about how Hashem created the world, that there is a God. The basics of term, in terms of God being the creator and, and creating everything in their lives, they knew that. So what exactly is the big uh, revelation of Yitzhak Mitzrayim? The revelation of Yitzhak Mitzrayim is the following thing, is that instead of thinking about God being somewhere else and just talking about you, Hashem is talking to you. And every single experience that you have, instead of it being just, exp- just an experience which God is watching over and maybe foreseeing and overseeing and making sure it happens for the right reasons, it's much deeper than that. It's a point of contact. Every single experience is Hashem making eye contact with you and communicating to you, not just about you, even for their good reasons, but communicating to you. Even if it's a conversation, 
so to speak. Even if Hashem is saying something, that we experience that conversation and it might feel as if we're being pushed away, the Chiddush, the revelation of Pesach and the Avoid of Pesach is to believe and to know that not only is everything in my life something that comes from God's speech, not only is everything in my life for the good and for the best and overseen by Hashem, more than that, you could still be in exile like that. The redemption of Mitzrayim means that everything in my life is Hashem actually bringing me closer to Him and everything in my life is Hashem reaching out to me. Even if the experience feels as if I'm being pushed away, the truth is that I'm being brought close. We ask the question, why is it that the Ben Rasha is part of the Haggadah? Not only is the Ben Rasha part of the Haggadah, the Ben Rasha is a major component in the Haggadah. In, in Parshas Bo, when Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people about the coming Makas Pechoros and how we're going to get out of Mitzrayim finally, he gives us, he says, and by the way, you're going to have Pesach because of this, and for all time, your children are going to ask you questions, and you have to give over the, the story. And what is the, in which one of the four sons does Moshe Rabbeinu talk about the first time? The first son that he talks about is what? Is the Ben Rasha. The question he says to the Jewish people is, you're going to be asked, Ma'avay And the Jewish people respond as what? What do they, they respond with? They bow down in thanks. So first of all, of all the four sons, that's the, first, that's the, the opening one. Uh, why start with that? And why would the Jewish people respond to, to, the, to the prophecy that they're going to have a Ben Rasha with such a, thanks, a thankful mindset? The answer is because that's the biggest thing in the world, is that even conversations which seem to be a conversation which is about pushing away, in truth, it's bringing close. And so even the conversation of the Ben Rasha, don't think of it as a conversation between a parent and a bad kid. This is a conversation between Hashem and us. And sometimes Hashem has conversations which which we experience as what Hashem bringing us close. And sometimes the conversation seems to be the words that Hashem says seem to be words which come from Him, and we believe it's for the right reasons, but it feels to us as if He's pushing us away. The Chiddush of Pesach is that Hashem is always speaking to, not speaking about. Speaking about means there's you, there's me, and I'm watching, I'm taking care, but I'm not, I'm not bringing you in. I'm not talking to you. I'm not... Facing you, I'm not looking at you face to face. I'm not bringing you close with my words. The Chiddush of Pesach is that there's no such phenomenon. Every single speech that Hashem utters in this world, which creates every experience that we have in life, is always speaking to. Even if you feel it as if you're being pushed away, and it feels as if you're just being spoken about, Hashem is always speaking to. Like Rav Nachman Breslover writes, he says in one of, the, one of the places in his Sefer, that the beginning of being brought close very often it feels like you're being pushed away. And this is the Nisayim, the, the, and this is the, the test that the Yitzhahara throws at us before Pesach, which is, are you going to fall into that mistake and that trap of thinking that Hashem is just talking about me, that you know, everything is just, that I, I, don't, I don't sense that connection. You don't have to feel the connection. Everything you're experiencing is connection. It is connection. Because anything you experience in life, whether it be big, small, good, bad, Everything you experience was created by Hashem's speech, and Hashem speaks with making eye contact with you. Not about you, but Hashem is speaking to you. This is why, as I mentioned, the major component in the Exodus, one of the questions we started with, is you have to know Hashem's name. What do you have to know Hashem's name for? The, way, the reason why you have to know Hashem's name is because just as Hashem's speech talks, and He's talking to you, not about you, the response, our part of the, the our side of the of the of the coin, our side is, when a person speaks to you, 
it's only, it's only respectful and it's only fair to speak back. See, if Hashem is talking about you, then you could get away with talking about Hashem too. And that's what the Jewish people were doing all those years in exile. They come together with their families and they're reminding themselves about Hashem. It's beautiful, it's amazing. But that's not called davening. That's not called Yiddishkeit. Yiddishkeit is not talking about Hashem. Yiddishkeit is talking to Hashem. Just as Hashem is talking to you, so you have to talk back. And everything you do, you have to see that as also a conversation between you, not, as, not to the person only, and not to the experience, but everything you, you communicate in this world is also a communication to Hashem. And even when, you, when you're speaking good words and holy words, davening and, 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 you know, and, and learning and so on, it's not about Hashem, it's to Hashem. In order to speak to Hashem, you have to know His name. You have to know His name. This is the, 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 the shift that the Jewish people have to go through from damaged speech, which is like the Mitzorah talking about, to speech that's holy and pure of Pesach night, of like Kiddush HaKadosh, of Sanctuary of the New Moon, which is speaking to. And if, you're speaking, and if Hashem is talking to you, and you have to respond to talk to Him face to face, and you have to know His name. And this is exactly also why Pesach is about moving away from idolatry. Remember? That was the other question. What's the root cause of idolatry? Where did idolatry come from? In the beginning, there was Adam and Chava. Clearly, they knew that there was a God. So how did it deteriorate to the point of where there's idolatry in the world? Says the Rambam. The reason is because in the beginning, of course they knew that there's a God. But they felt, I can't talk to that God. God is way out there. So you know what I could do? I could talk to his, his uh, underlings. I could talk to the sun and the moon. And I could praise them. And if I praise them, then, then, that, then God is praised through that because he created the sun and the moon. So if I praise his servants, that praises him. And ultimately, ultimately, it deteriorated to the point of where what? Where they forgot about the God and they just focused on the sun. But you see, but the root problem of Adizar was what? Is their feeling that they're unable to speak to Hashem. Right there. Again, again damaged speech. Talking about it. Once it's talking about Hashem, okay, I could talk about Hashem, I could talk about the sun and moon. But if the, the, the fixing of, of idolatry, the fixing of that core problem is what? Is to realize that you know Hashem's name. You can talk to Him, and He's talking to you anyway. He's talking to you anyway. Every, every experience that you have is Hashem talking to you. You might as well talk back, otherwise it's, it's impolite. It's simply impolite. So you have to talk back. And so therefore, Pesach is therefore the fixing of idolatry. Because the core of idolatry... Again, as I said, it's not, it's not so much that we have to worry about actually bowing down to the sun. That's not our problem. But we might have the problem that bowing down to the sun came from, which is, who am I to speak to Hashem? I have to find the right opportunity. I have to be in shul at the right time. I have to have the right uh, moment where to open it to Him. Forget opening it to Him. Every experience that you're doing is talking to Hashem, can be turned into talking to Hashem. The, the experience that you're having is Hashem talking to you. So, just, so at the same time, talk back. What does it mean to talk back? So sometimes it's, it's with a tehillim. Sometimes it's with a sitter. But sometimes it's by, it's by taking care of the family and taking care of yourself and taking care of, uh, of the needs that you have to do and, and being frustrated and being, being uh, pressured. All the things that we have, all the, things, all the experiences that we have is Hashem communicating to us. So that experience, if we embrace it and we see it for what it is, it itself is our response back to Hashem. This is why I said in the beginning that that that, that Noshim Sitkanias have a natural understanding and awareness of what Pesach really is. Because this is an idea of being able to 
to, to speak to Hashem and to really embrace this concept that everything we experience is Hashem talking to us, is bringing us close, and Hashem is waiting for us to respond, that's something that, that guys might have a hard time processing. But this is something that Nashim Sidkanis have a, have a natural inclination to. Women are, are, are naturally prepared for davening. And davening, again, doesn't mean only to open a tehillim and open a sitter. It means to redefine all of life as an experience of talking to, not just talking about. And that's what it means to repair speech. That's the mitzvah of Pesach night. So it means one of the biggest things that we can do Pesach night, for example, is to do the best we can and to try in every conversation we have, even with our families, as difficult as it might be, because there are certain times in the year where where it's, it's our families that make us crazy, you know, the most. Maybe it's all year round, but especially when it comes to the Yantav, you know, where it's about trying to speak to. Trying to speak to. So what, what, like, what, like, what should the atmosphere be like Pesach night? What should the atmosphere be like as much as possible come, uh, preparing for Pesach? The, the atmosphere should be an atmosphere of love, an atmosphere of closeness, an atmosphere where the kids feel loved, and the family feels loved, and we feel loved. That, that's, that's at the end of the day. And it's not about, therefore, coming up with the most exciting Haggadah and having the answers to every question. You trust matzah. Matzah will do its thing. Mar will do its thing. The Haggadah will do its thing. You don't, just don't get in the way. What you have to do is create an environment of face-to-face, and then matzah will do its thing. But, if, but to create an environment of absolute pressure and lachatz, where everyone feels that they're stepping on everyone else's toes. And that's exactly what the Yetzirah wants to do. Because the Yetzirah knows that the essence of Pesach is a sense of face-to-face with Hashem, a talking to Hashem, and a sense of face-to-face and talking to the people that we care about the most. And so the one thing the Yetzirah is therefore going to do, he's not going to stop you from eating matzah. You're not going to have such an sign. He's not going to stop you from reading the Haggadah. He doesn't mind that. What he is going to stop you is trying to experience Pesach in a way, and the family that you're, that you're with, in a way of face-to-face, in a way of speaking to. That's what he's going to try to interrupt. And, and because we know that that's going to be the test, so any effort that we can do to try to embrace the difficulty of a time, and there's no question about it, the lachets that comes, and again, I was telling this to the guys also, people try to escape the exile of Mitzrayim, right, that has to precede Pesach, I don't care if you're making Pesach here. I don't care if you're spending it with your parents or your in-laws or you're going to Venezuela or you're going to Ecuador or you're going to Venice. I don't care where it is. Mitzrayim will follow you. And there's going to be lachas. There's going to be pressure, whether it be pressure from cooking and cleaning, pressure from paying the bills, pressure from dealing with people, pressure from from dealing with uh, first-class flights. It doesn't matter. Even things that other people look at, like, what is there to complain about? you'll find reasons to complain, and that's exactly what the Yetzirah wants to do. Because that's what the test of Pesach is. Are you going to be able to see the experience that you're dealing with as something that Hashem or people are talking, that Hashem is talking about you? Or is this an experience of Hashem talking to you? Are you going to be amongst the, the people you know, that you're going to be with for, you know, uh, for a week? You know? Are you going to be talking about them? Or are you going to be talking to them? And understand, when I say talk about them, I don't just mean Lashon Hara. I mean, you could be talking to someone, but it's also talking about them, you understand? But you're not really trying to connect, you're just trying to, you're just trying to, you get lost in the, um, in the, uh, in the structure, in the infrastructure of Pesach without 
focusing on why am I doing this? I'm doing this in order to create a bond with the people that I love. That's what it's about. Okay, so let me, uh, it's a tall order, but that's what Hashem wants of us. That's what, he, that's, that's what he needs to do. He's talking to us anyway. He might as well answer back. Let me end off with a quick story. It's a nice, simple story. The, uh, there was a big tzaddik, the Bnei Saschar. It's Fieli Melech of Dinah. He's a big chassid uh, shereva. So the story goes that, that um, after his Seder, Pesach night, so one of the things that he would like to do, he would like to walk around his city, just to sort of listen in to the seders of what's going on by other people. And so the story goes that he was once walking around the town, and, and uh, he stopped by a certain house, and this person in the house is a very, very simple Jew. You know, in those days, not a, you know, most, most people in those days, after 12 or 13, their education ended. So, you know, you go like, you know, 40 years old, 50 years old, you're very, very simple in terms of your understanding and your education. They did what they did because they heard it from their parents and they just continued on, but they didn't know. So he stops by this person's house and he hears that this person is up to the, um, the, uh, the Haggadah where it talks about the four sons. So it says in the Haggadah that, Keneged Arba Banim Debertar, that Hashem, that the, the, the Torah talks about four sons, Echad Chacham, Echad Rasha, Echad Tom, Echad Shenei Deilishim, right? The four sons. So this person was a very simple Jew, and he knew that when you say Shema Yisrael Shem Akad Hashem Echad, Echad is stretched out. So he sees the word Echad. So he says Echad Chacham, Echad Rasha, Echad Tam, Echad Shein Delishol. So Ben Yisrael was watching this. The guy's confusing Shema with the Haggadah, you know. And so they see them around the Ben Yisrael. They're laughing, they're smirking. It's cute, you know. It's Ben Yisrael's mom is like shaken by this. So they say, Rebbe, what's going on? So he says, look at this guy. Look at the amuna that this guy has. There's four sons, four different experiences, four different types of interactions with other Yidin. And all this person sees is Hashem Echad. That's all he sees. It would be a Chacham, a Rasha, a Tam, Delishal. All the four corners of, and all the four spectrums of life. It's Hashem Okeinu, Hashem Echad. That's all it is. And that's what Pesach is. That's what Pesach is. Baruch HaMakam, Baruch Hu. That's all. The Hashem is the Makam. Hashem is the place that encompasses all these things. And every single thing is Hashem talking to us. No, we should have the simple faith like that, Jew, and just be able to, whatever the situation is, Chacham Tam, Rosh Hashanah, Delishal, it's all Echad, Elokein, Shabbat Shemayim, Varetz. Okay, thank you very much. And Hashem shall bless each and every one of you with an amazing Pesach. Yeah. Sure.